Hello and welcome to the Alcohol Alert, brought to you by the Institute of Alcohol Studies. On this month's podcast, we spoke to a number of the attendees of the 7th Global Alcohol Policy Conference in Cape Town, South Africa. The three-day conference was held from the 24th to the 26th of October and hosted alcohol policymakers, researchers, advocates and civil society groups to present and discuss learnings and best practice from across the globe. Our podcast features a number of short interviews with some of the attendees who introduced themselves. I'm David Jernigan. I'm a professor at the Boston University School of Public Health, and I'm also one of the board members of the Global Alcohol Policy Alliance. I was thrilled and shocked and appalled by this morning session on digital marketing, limbic capitalism, so inspired by what's happened in Lithuania and in Nepal. It shows it's possible for countries to take decisive action against alcohol marketing. So hopeful that in Nepal, Meta itself agreed to take their advertising uh, out of, to to ban alcohol advertising from uh, Instagram and Facebook, either going to Nepal or originating in Nepal. It says we can make some progress uh, with these platforms. It's also very inspiring this afternoon to put this in the context of the fight for democracy. Mm. At the end of the day, we have the world of alcohol that the alcohol industry wants. We don't have the world that the mass of people want. This is a democracy issue, and our democracies are not functioning. They are driven by moneyed interests, and the alcohol issue is a classic example of that. So the more we can hitch our train to the locomotive of all the forces around the world that are standing up for democracy, standing up for people's right to self-determination, I think the more likely we will be to be victorious in our fight to limit the role that the alcohol industry can have in our lives and our communities. Brilliant, yeah, I mean, you're referencing one of the speakers um, from Australia earlier that was discussing the sort of failures of democracy in the country. Um, And I think we feel that in the UK and I'm sure you feel that perhaps more in the US. What would you hope, because she was discussing how we live in our little silos as civil society, alcohol has their little silos. Sometimes it crosses over with tobacco and sometimes with fast junk food. Um, but that's quite separate from perhaps know, civil society to deal with climate change. How would you hope that those different silos could come together? There are lots of opportunities. There are things like the NCD Alliance, which brings a number of the silos together. Mm-hmm. It is challenging because we live in democratic systems that are accustomed to incremental change. And incremental change is helpful, we fight for it, but they're fundamental changes, we need it, and that's about numbers. Um, We don't have the money, we do have the information, and we have the numbers of people. So I look forward to figuring out bigger and bigger tents. One of the things we face in alcohol is that our very the very people who should be our friends and allies in public health don't understand this issue and they end up on the wrong side of it. So I see a great value in continuing to be somewhat single-minded in pushing the alcohol issue, if only because we have so much education to do among our own friends. 
in my own state in Massachusetts, we're working on passing an alcohol tax. It's very clear we won't be able to get that tax just by working with the alcohol and drug people. We have to build that larger coalition. So things like health taxes that can bring numbers of our issues together and be in service of getting something done. I think those are good opportunities. Okay, my name's Charles Perry. I'm the director of the Mental Health Alcohol Substance Use and Tobacco Research Unit at the South African Medical Research Council. For me, I mean, there were a number of take-home things. I mean, one was really great after three years since we last met in Dublin to see so many people meeting down here in Africa and Cape Town and engaging and talking about, you know, uh, talking about how we can reduce alcohol harms in the local context in which they live and also what's needed at a, at a global level. So, you know, what stood out for me is that we really need to focus on some end goals and have those in mind. And I think about three that I want to mention is we need to work towards denormalization of alcohol use in, in society. We need also to get governments to establish clear rules on how they engage, how they engage with the alcohol industry. And we also, if we look at the World Health Organization, that organization really needs to uh, look, also look at how it engages with the alcohol industry. And I think uh, it needs to create a little bit more distance between itself and an industry such as, as that which, which makes alcohol and really depends in many countries like my own on, on heavy drinking to make their profits. The conference was, was really powerful on another level in which it allowed so many voices to come to the front. I mean, voices of people working at community levels, at regional levels, and some leading international experts in their fields, some of which were not directly related to alcohol. And there's so much rich information that came out. And I think for me, also, what came out besides guidance on the goals we should work towards is some strategies that we need to focus on. And one of which is that we need to work together. We've got to break down the silos. We need to bring in youth. We need to bring in indigenous groupings of peoples and so forth. We also need to um, strengthen action at regional levels. It can't all be done at, at, at the global level. And at country level, sometimes there are weaknesses. So the regional level is one that's been left out. And I think there are a number of things that are needed to get gated cooperation between people working in the alcohol field at regional levels, such as you know, building networks, collating information on what works, maybe even having regional uh, policy meetings like the one we're having in Cape Town. The next two speakers are Nicola Merrin and Alison Douglas from Alcohol Focus Scotland. We asked them what they found most interesting from the conference so far. Everything alcohol marketing, really. Um, this morning we had plenary session on alcohol marketing and then I went straight in to a session on alcohol marketing. Um, so we heard from a variety of countries from Nepal to Vietnam to Lithuania, Scotland. I think the scene so setting many. presentation for me from Antonia Lyons just kind of mm. demonstrating that you know alcohol is an addictive substance it's being marketed through social media platforms which are addictive that we access through smartphones, which mm. are designed to be addictive. And now you can order it straight to your door to be delivered to your door. So all of those elements really just demonstrated how together digital marketing is, is revolutionary. It takes us in a far more uh, 
concerning place, you know, that it's really dangerous. Yeah. Um, and because it's so hi so highly personalised, what you see is different to what I see. Um, so even understanding how it's being used is, is really, really difficult. And that's why um, Antonio was recommending a complete ban on digital marketing as really the only effective way forward. Yeah, yeah, it's something really interesting, the digital marketing side of things, because we, me and you, Alison, have filmed a video on, on marketing and written a script for it, and we'll publish that in a couple of, couple of months' time, probably. But when I sent it to one of the other speakers, they pointed out that there was a, a fair bit missing about digital marketing and social media marketing. And we kind of, we mostly did that on purpose because there's like so much that you could talk about. And instead, what we're going to do is make a whole new video on it. But it's also because it's quite difficult to understand, like you say. And I think like a lot of people working in public health have background in other things and not necessarily in how, how digital marketing works. I've luckily got a couple of friends that work in it, so sort of bounce questions off them. But it's really like, insidious and hidden. The last presentation that I actually saw was from New Zealand or Australia. And it was really helpful to see the different types of regulation that you could tap into to address digital marketing. So they had done a review of all the um, data protection, consumer mm. law, um, online harms regulation, which we also have in the UK. Um, and when that came up, um, I think it was maybe a year or two ago when we started talking about that, it was a case of, right, okay, well, how does this, or how could this address alcohol marketing? Because it is a type of online harm, particularly for children and young people. And the answer is, well, it could but doesn't really and you would need something more specific on alcohol and that's what the conclusion of that was we have all these laws but if you're going to do something to protect people from alcohol marketing or other health harming products in marketing then you need to do it through kind of alcohol legislation something quite specific um, but there are different ways in which all these variety of different legislation um, could help tackle it but it's very complicated i think uh, it's really encouraging though to hear the examples from other countries, particularly I was struck by Lithuania where um, they have made a successful uh, regulation around um, alcohol marketing which includes digital marketing and our colleague was saying that you know what happened there was that the, the big players you know meta uh, and code, recognised that it was reputationally damaging to them to try and circumvent it and that with uh, IP addresses it was relatively straightforward to ensure that that kind of marketing wasn't being um, you know, allowed for people in, in Lithuania. So that, that kind of encouraged me because I, you know, sometimes it feels like it's such a sort of one-sided fight yeah. in alcohol policy that you're talking about global social media platforms you're talking about global alcohol producers so for a small country you know we're a small country in scotland for a small country like lithuania to have done that successfully is really encouraging but um clearly that you have to be constantly vigilant because other uh, um, attempts are made to try and undermine the regulations so uh, you know it, this is an ongoing action that we need to take as alcohol adv advocates to protect what we've got and to try and build on it for yeah. the future. In Lithuania in general seems to be the sort of global success story across more than just marketing as well. Yeah. They're saying that I think they're saying in 2016, 17 that alcohol taxes were doubled um, and they've also had various 
policies on availability as well, I think. Um, the guy that was presenting, his name I've forgotten, was saying that uh, there was uh, basically somebody who got into government who was really keen on public health and there's a coalition government, so there's a bit more sort of compromise and flexibility. And uh, yeah, he just like, absolutely like, drove and pushed all these policies. And it'd be really interesting to see, because what he didn't present earlier was, has it been a success in terms of reducing alcohol consumption and harm? And uh, there's been somebody else who had spoken to him and saying that that will, yeah, of course, analysing this and we're going to come out with the results of that yeah. in the next couple of years. And that, yeah. that will be a real bandwagon to jump onto for a lot of countries. I mean, to be like, they've done it properly, they've enacted, they've implemented and enacted a bunch of the best buys from the World Health Organization and they've led to this sort of harm reduction. Well, we heard from them. Farouk um, in Norway, early on in marketing, and it's really interesting because they pointed out that in Norway, because the restrictions were implemented kind of after and not with anything else, um, that it was a way in which one of the only cases in which quite often you can look and evaluate and see what, what um, effects did that particular policy have on alcohol consumption, mm. and he was pointing out it had a 7% reduction in consumption effect. Wow. Um, which is which is huge. So a great a great case study, um, but also something that I've been reflecting on. It's, it's, it's good to hear we, we commissioned some research on what the lessons are in other European countries on alcohol marketing, oh, yeah. um, implementing those restrictions. And I've I've been hearing from other countries here today, um, those same lessons are coming through. So the, the need for monitoring and enforcement, the need for sanctions, and um, really keep an eye out for the weakening and, and loosening off. And we were hearing again from a colleague in Lithuania, Galson was just saying about. Um, the alcohol lobby still being there, still trying to, as they see in Norway, modernise, um, which is we can really or liberalise the policies, yeah. um, particularly in relation to things like no and low alcohol. You know, why can't we do this? Can we do that? So, yeah, it's really being quite alert to that and, and keeping the good fight going. Hi, I'm Chris Smith. I work for Open Philanthropy. Open Philanthropy is the world's largest funder of alcohol policy work in low and middle income countries, primarily through the research initiative. Um, it's been great to be here at GAPSI to meet so many uh, people working on alcohol policy, to meet reset partners, uh, both at a global level and at a country level. I'm really glad that we've had this conference on the continent of Africa for the first time, and that we've had so many people from all over the world uh, working on alcohol. So we were lucky enough to hear from you earlier in the plenary at the beginning of the day. Um, could you explain very briefly what your presentation was about and what you hope people took away from it? Yeah, so I was asked to represent philanthropy, which is a very lonely experience. Uh, Open Philanthropy became the world's largest funder of alcohol policy work with a single grant, mm. which represents $5 million a year for three years. And what I emphasized to the group was that we need to prioritize our resources. Uh, it's, it's easy and correct to say that we need more, but we, I think we also need to make sure we're using the most of what we have, that we need to be organized in what we're doing, um, and our, our hope is that the philanthropic resources that we've deployed allow people to be organized and for this to be, for some people, uh, the main work that they're, they're doing. Uh, and finally, to, to have a sense of urgency, um, alcohol is an enormous health problem, contributes to more than 2 million deaths a year, roughly 5% of the global burden of disease, amongst a long list of other problems. Um, and if we want to mobilize more resources, Part of being able to do that is demonstrating that you're having success. And so my kind of ask of the wider group was to sort of try and get wins and treat alcohol with a kind of appropriate urgency.
So I'm uh, Juan Trello. I'm the head of the Less Alcohol Unit, which is uh, in the Department of Health Promotion at the World Health Organization in uh, headquarters. So we're in a taxi on the way to the airport, heading back from Cape Town. This is my last interview. Um, and I'd love to know from you what has been your highlight of the conference over the last few days. Great, thanks. I, I think there are too many, uh, but at least uh, I was very much impressed to see the alignment between what uh, civil society organizations are proposing across the different regions, uh, Latin America, Africa, uh, Europe, uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, are proposing as solutions or the way forward to move uh, and to reduce the harm produced by alcohol. And I'm um, very happy to see that uh, those proposals are aligned also with what we recommend uh, countries to take as measures to move this, um, you know, to reduce the harm produced by, uh, by alcohol consumption on individuals, families, and societies. So those uh, areas are increasing the, the prices of uh, alcohol, uh, that is reducing the affordability, uh, protecting the children and young people, uh, thinking to protecting people also from uh, digital marketing that is currently extremely um, penetrated on our social media and other means uh, and is less controlled by countries. Uh, also reducing the number of outlets or thinking how to get uh, outlets uh, density reduced in general. So I think it's reassuring to know that we are on the same, on the same page and uh, that we are proposing similar measures forward. What do you hope people can sort of take away from the conference? What do you want people to, to think when they think back to it? The first takeaway in my view is that we are not alone, that there is a large uh, global community understanding the need to fight the consequences of alcohol consumption. And that that is already uh, a relief uh, in terms of, uh, you know, we are not alone. Uh, they also, the other, um, brings also to, to another point, which is the need to network more, so to join efforts in, in order for us to, to be more effective on what we do or to have a higher impact on what we do. And uh, lastly, also the need to prioritize interventions. We cannot do or we cannot solve all the problems, so it is important to think what do we want to do first and to, to build. Um, strong and uh, powerful narratives around uh, those interventions that we want to, to change. That is all for this month. Thank you for listening and we hope you can join us in next month's podcast.